I'm from Georgia, and my family's from New Jersey. So I got a little southern twang and a little articulation at the same time. So if I say something a little, little country, it's okay to laugh. All right, so just, be, just bear with me. Let me just go ahead and pray for the word. God, I pray for this word, God. I pray that every good soil is in this house. And Lord God, those that are seeking you will find you, God. And that this word is specifically for them. It's not for me. You gave it to me to give away. Lord God, and I give it to them, Lord God, freely as a gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, in the book of John, I grew up for so long confused in the beginning of the book about John the Baptist and the Apostle John. I had a confusing mindset. I was like, how can John the Baptist write the book of John? Yeah, and how could he do revelations? You know, I had those thoughts. You know, those are just normal thoughts. You know, we don't know those things. So the author of the book of John is James' brother, son of Zebedee. He is a son of thunder. Now, you got to have some power in your life if Jesus is going to call you the son of thunder. You know, you got to bring some power of love if you got some power, you know, son of thunder. You know, Jesus liked to give his disciples nicknames, you know. He liked to name them something different than what everybody else called them. He didn't call them, he didn't call them fishermen. He said son of thunder, you know. I, I really appreciate that about Jesus, how he gives us a new name when we come to him. We're not what other people called us. So a quick story I heard, this is not in the Bible, but I found it in a book, and I heard another preacher preach on it, and I said, this is amazing. If we could just grasp what John did. So John walks, he's in Greece. He walks in the temple of Diana. So this is after the resurrection. This is after uh, the apostles. This is almost before the apostle Paul's about to step on the scene. So in this time, there's, a, there's confrontational things happening on. So apologetics, they have to defend their faith constantly and constantly. So the only way you could defend it in that time was miracles and, 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 and wonder-working. Power had to be seen because they seen it all the time. Witchcraft was rampant. Sorcerers were rampant. So you had to show them something different. So John comes in his temple. He says a 26-word prayer. In the middle of that 26-word prayer, the altar explodes. Now, this is in a book. This is a historical account that the altar explodes and the walls of the temple implode. In the middle of his prayer, a false doctrine is destroyed for the people to show Jesus' power. And I thought this was really interesting when we're talking about the apostle of love, he is a very interesting person to me in this account. If he could go somewhere and pray and things just blow up, <laughs> you know, that's the power of love. You know, that's not, he doesn't preach a fire and brimstone. He preaches a fire and love message and love just exploded <laughs> on the scene. And that's, you know, what happens when stuff like that happens, people are like, okay, I believe in this guy. <laughs> You know, there's no question. There's no question. So if you want to look that up, that's it called Christianizing the Roman Empire. It's on page 25 and 26. I just like to put that out there because I know some theologians are like, he's probably made that up, but that's real. You know, I like to back it up, you know. You know. So we're going to be talking about uh, John 10. So for us that read John 10, John 10 is, uh, I believe Jesus is saying, you know my voice in the chapter. He's saying, you know my voice. He talks about the good shepherd. Uh, he talks about sheepfold, and he talks about the door. John 10 is an overview of who have you been listening to. That's what Jesus is really saying. And why have you let them lead you in the wrong direction? You know, so when I think about that, that's what he does. He said, this may be possibly my favorite book of the Bible, just because Jesus is talking about his voice. Now, when you hear Jesus' voice, it, it automatically transforms your heart. It automatically changes something that's going on in your life. You just don't hear Jesus' voice and stop listening. But it can happen over time. See, 
Jesus is saying, he has a prophetic voice. In John chapter 10, he said, your life is about to change right now. That's what he's saying. He says, no longer will you listen to what you've been told, but I'm telling you, you know my voice, and your life is about to change right now. And that's amazing to me because it is fulfilled prophecy of the key verse that I'm about to to expound on today. And that's even more amazing to me is Jesus fulfilled prophecies day in and day out. He fulfilled the word. You know, for some of us, we have visions and dreams, and when we come to them, they're fulfilled. You know, and that's what, that's what Jesus was. He was just a dream to somebody. They didn't believe the Messiah was going to actually come until he stepped on the scene. They thought something different was going to happen. They thought it was going to be po- political change. They thought, oh, man, Obama's out. No more George Bushes. We got something going on good. We got a Messiah. He's going to change the government. He's going to change the kingdom. But see, he, he didn't come for that. You know, he didn't come to adapt to our ways. He didn't come to adapt to our government and our society. You know, he came to tell you what you've been doing is not listening to my voice. So let's go into Ezekiel 34, 15 through 16. Jesus says this. He says, I will feed my sheep and I will cause them to lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost and bring back that which has strayed. And I will bandage the hurt and the crippled and will strengthen the weak and the sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong who have become hard-hearted and perverse, and I will feed them with judgment and punishment. Jesus said, the people that know my voice and stop listening. He says, if you, you're li- he's, he's, he's bringing a diagram here. And scripture does that many times. It brings the diagram. There's always a but, God. There's always a but. That means there's more. There's more to happen in your life. So before we go into the frame, the hinges, the doorknob, The door itself, we have to understand one central truth. And I hope everybody grabs this. It's simple. It's the one simple truth. Only through Jesus can we be saved. If we come in agreement with that one simple truth, only through Jesus can we be saved. Not by your work, not by your efforts, not by your hands, not by your parents, not by your religion, but only through Jesus. Because I know Jesus saved my life. I know it wasn't a program. I know it wasn't a church. I know it wasn't a pastor. I know it was a a person that came into my life and changed it overnight. So let's go into the verse, uh, John 10, 9 and 10. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I'm reading out uh, the Amplified Version because Bishop's using the Amplified Version. And he says, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved, will live. He will come in and he will go out freely and will find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I come that you may have and enjoy life and have it abundantly. To the full until it overflows. Jesus just saying that he's the door puts this one thing in perspective. Universally, everyone has access to Jesus. Universally. I grew up down south, so there's a couple of different denominations. And I had to battle those in my thought process and going to Bible college and theology. And when you hear, you hear certain things that only a certain amount of people are able to go to heaven and, and just uh, if you only get saved by this pastor in this church, you can only go to heaven this way. And, and it just confused me in a manner like they're wrong. <laughs> because I grew up in having faith in the word. And when, when I was a disciple, I had faith in the word. And the word says only through Jesus. It didn't say through Free Will Baptist Church. It didn't say through the Assemblies of God. It said Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the bridegroom, and you are my church. 
You know, that's what he implanted on this earth. You know, he started a new church. And I just love that. And that, and that means this. We have some people from different countries in this room. And that just proves this one thing. Salvation is for everyone in the world. Amen. That's what it's for. It's a freely gift for everyone. There's not one person that you see walk down the street and say salvation is not for them. Salvation is for everyone. Every person at your work, every person at your school, every person at your job, salvation is for them. But it's freely given. Your efforts can't offer it to them. How many times have we tried? <laughs> Your prayers can help. <laughs> but they have to come to their self and see him. You can't push them on them. Because the more you push them on them, the more they run away. <laughs> you know? The more praise God you say, the more oh no they say. You know? That's what happens. But we have to understand when we see these people, like the Apostle John had, with love, and we start praying for them, we say, salvation is freely given. I have no right over that. The salvation is theirs. It's for them. Just like somebody came to you and said, salvation is for you. Jesus is for you. You know, sometimes I forget that, you know, when I, when I was... When I do when I say witnessing and living in a lifestyle of witnessing, that I have to chase after people, you know, chase them down. Then I came into a season of just praying, God, bring somebody in my pathway. And then when you start doing those type of things, you start living in that type of era, leading somebody to Christ isn't isn't a chore anymore. You know, it's a pleasure. You know, you rejoice like the angels did. In Luke 15, 7, because somebody came to Christ. How many times over the one? You know, one person becomes important to you because they're made in the image of God. And you just start loving them. You know, when you start having those things, that was just my lifestyle, you know. So Christ is the only door. Now, I know some of us been through some doors. I've been some, through some revolving doors. I've been through some closed doors trying to push my way through. I've been through some open doors. But when I found out that Christ is the only door, that's when, that's when things changed for me. It wasn't the rehab was the door. Then my mom was the door. Then, then my strength was the door. It became Christ is the door. And when you see that in your life, if we could just think back in our heart when we first came to Christ and see how he opened up his arms to us and became the only way, then we'll see that door for somebody else. Amen. We constantly have to remember those things. So in saying this, if Christ is the only door, the voice of God is not an unfamiliar voice. It's not unfamiliar. It's not like somebody says, oh, you heard the voice of God? What did it sound like? All you have to do is say, I heard the voice of God. And they automatically know what the voice is. It may sound different to you. It may sound like a father to me and a mother to another. But they know the voice of God. It's not unfamiliar. You're not hearing the voice of God and saying, who is that? You're not looking up to heaven and saying, is that really you? You know. When you hear the voice of God, you know it. Every single person knows when God is telling them to do something. They, don't have, they can't deny it. But they can stop listening. They can stop listening. See, you don't harden your heart by not knowing the voice. You harden your heart from not listening to the voice. And that's what happens to us. We stop listening. You know, I can say I was once a son of disobedience. And I can say now I'm a son of obedience. You know, and that's what God does. You know, he says, you were once a son of obedience. So I'm going to forgive and forget. Now you're a son of obedience. I gave you a whole different name, a whole different life. And that's beautiful to me. 
Because no matter what people say about me, no matter what y'all know about me, I'm God's son. And and somebody asked me today, so Carl, you want to be a missionary or you want to be an evangelist? I said, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor without a church or with a church. I was called a disciple and I was called to be in people's lives one-on-one each and every day. And I was a pastor before I came to New Life. And I was a pastor before I came to my church in St. Louis. So I was a pastor without the church and without the calling. It's something innate in you that you know that God's giving you. You know, like, uh, like Joel was playing the bass. He's a musician. It's innate in him. He loves his guitar. He loves it. Like I asked, I, he was getting his guitar back, and I said, hey, man, you're getting your guitars back. He was like, yeah, you won't see me for a while. <laughs> he said, because we've been missing each other, you know. Men name their guitars, you know. They name it. They want to they wanna bring some identity to it because they're spending so much time with it, you know. So that's what happens. You do those type of things. Me, I was a pastor. I am a pastor. It doesn't matter what capacity I'm in. I'm still a pastor. You know, that's what God called me to, that part of the fivefold. He called me to be a pastor. It doesn't matter if it's young adult, youth, outreach. I'm still a pastor. And whatever God's called you to do, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a mother, a father. You're that. God's called you to that. So I heard a story about some Turkish soldiers in World War I. They stole some sheep from this herder. He couldn't take them back by force. He couldn't take his sheep back by force. So what he did with the tone of his voice was call them, and they came. The Turkish soldiers couldn't stop them from moving. So what we're saying here, if you know God's voice and he's talking to you, there's nothing that you can let in your way for you to avoid him. There's nothing that can happen that can stop you from listening to God. If you truly want him, these sheep knew his voice. They knew who he was. No matter who took him, who led him astray, who took him to unfamiliar territory and said, oh, I hear our shepherd's voice, I'm out. And that's what happens. And the chapter talks of a voice in the beginning with a shepherd we have access to. See, the shepherd enters in with full access by the gate. And I'm going to tell you about the people that Jesus was talking to in this time. They weren't, they weren't the politicians. They weren't the tax collectors. They weren't those type of people. These people were shepherds. These people were were not money makers. They weren't big tithers. These were people that couldn't invest a lot into Jesus. These were people that knew when he said, I am the door, they knew it meant the sheepfold. They knew it meant a shepherd. So they had an understanding. See, what happened with a shepherd, what he would do, literally, he would lay down in front of a cave or cavern to keep out the wolves and keep in the sheep. He would literally lay down. And that's what Jesus said. He's saying, I am the shepherd. I'm laying down right now, and I'm letting you know you can come in freely and go out freely because I'm here. I'm the door. So he's saying you have access to do those things. And when he gives us access, he also gives us another thing. He was saying in 10, he said he's giving us a pasture, a wide open pasture. I contemplate the scripture a lot, even even in the ministries that I worked in before New Life, and contemplating what this meant, open pastures. Like what God was offering us. What God was offering me for open pastures. If I was a sheep, what he is offering me is free food and freedom, no matter what. No matter what I did, he was offering me this. He was offering me free food. I didn't have to worry about it. So if I had a spiritual hunger inside of me, God said, I'm ready to fill you. In this scripture, he said, I'm the door. If you come to me, I will fill every empty place inside of you. And guess what? You could come and go as you please. When you're feeling a little empty, come back. When you're feeling a little fatigued, come back. Then go back out. Come back. Then go back out. He said he gave them access to go in and out. In and out. Do what you please. 
you know, come in, eat some more, then go out. He said, have your fill with me. So in John 6, 51, it says, I myself have been living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And also the bread that I shall give for the life is of the word of the world is my flesh. See, Christ the door offers something this world can never offer you. No matter how much you want it. I was ambitious before Christ. But I was ambitious in the wrong manner. And Christ offered me something that put my ambitions in alignment with him. And I was able to move in a way that I've never moved before. I was able to be put in leadership I've never seen before. People were looking at me like they never seen me before. And all of a sudden, I said, okay, this is, this is more than just a, a one-time one, one experience with salvation. Something's happening here, and I got no more. So Christ has said, come in. I gave you new life. Come in. Let me tell you about it some more. Let me fill you up. Let me fill you with my presence today. And when you go out, you pour out on people. You pour out what I've told you, what I've taught you, what I've given you. You pour it out. The world doesn't offer you that. The world in no way can offer you anything like that. It's a gimme, gimme, gimme society. I got an iPad, I got an iPhone. It's about me. But Christ saying, I laid my life down for you. So this is what it's about. It's about you coming in, getting filled, and going out and come back when you, get, you need more filling. There's more feeling in that. There's healing there. When Christ says he's feeling you, there's peace, there's rest, there's resolve. There's reconciliation with God in the feeling. That's what's so powerful about coming into this pasture. You're being reconciled in the very moment that you recognize that God is the door and you're the only door I'm coming to. That relationship is being reconciled. You're coming to Christ. In a major way. So this is what I do when I get home. Because ministry is different here in Lima than I've ever had. So I'm, I'm used to having fruit all the time, you know. Because when I, when I was a traveling missionary, I would go into a place, drop in, like a spiritual SWAT team, and then leave. You know, and then I could contemplate on everything I'm doing. I'm like, man, yeah. So we got this praise report, this guy, this guy, this guy. But when I come home for work, I have to reevaluate that differently and say, God, I love what you're doing. I appreciate you. I thank you, God. And then out of all that, God, I am satisfied. God, I am satisfied with what you're doing in my life. When I came to the revelation of being satisfied in God, he gave me more. That's just me. I don't know if somebody was looking for satisfaction from God. And they didn't receive it. But I'm telling you, I received it. When I think about what he does, I'm satisfied. I'm filled. I'm filled with his presence. You know, I don't have to go out and pray more. I don't have to read more word. I just have to contemplate on what he's done in my life and see how good he is. I'm not saying nothing's wrong with reading the word, but I'm saying sometimes you do a religious act to think you're getting closer to God. But you just sit down and believe in him. And you say, thank you, Lord. You know, the fruit of our lips is a sacrifice. Just thanking him is offering praise to him. And he's just saying, okay. You know, I'm going to give you some more. I'm going to give you some more if you're satisfied. Psalms 107.9. Right, how we doing? For he satisfied the longing soul and fills the hungry souls with goodness. He satisfies. If somebody in here today is not satisfied with where they're at in life, that's a real thing. You're not satisfied with the status quo you're living in. Maybe you need to seek God and say, Christ, you're the door. Maybe you need to rededicate some things in your life and say, I need to remove some of this religious, religious things I'm doing. Because I'm a structured guy. I'm structured. But I learned in my structure 
that I can move far away from a relationship with God. This is what I used to do. I used to wake up at 5 o'clock every morning, pray for an hour, read the Bible for an hour, read a devotional book for an hour, and then go run for an hour. That was my every day. I thought it was bringing me closer to God, but it wasn't. Because it wasn't building a relationship, it was building a structure. It wasn't coming out of it wasn't coming out of my heart, it was coming by my hand. I was coming in my own mind and saying, Okay, I'm doing this devotion because I have to do it. And I'm not getting anything out of it. It was just ritual, day in and day out. And I was living, I was just living a horrible existence in Christ. And I was like, this is not abundant. I'm not getting anything out of this. He's not renewing me right now. I'm just tired. And then I said, God, I need relationship. If I can't relate with you in the word and you build me up and I have a relationship with you and I drive to get longer with you, then, then it's wrong what I'm doing. Jesus said, I am the door because he has a relationship with his sheep. He doesn't have a structure with them. See, a shepherd has a relationship with his sheep. That's why they know his voice. Jesus has a relationship with you. He knew you before the beginning of time. He knows who you are. He knew you in your mother's womb. Like Bishop said last week, he had a mind for you in his heart. So he wants a relationship with you. And sometimes we do things that very, very much, I do it myself, that bridge a huge gap between God and my relationship with him. So I have to reevaluate that and say, Christ, I got to come back to your door. I got to come back in your pasture and I need you to fill me up. See, God's spirit is satisfying. For some of us, we come from a time where God always moved. I look at the world today and it's not easy to tell people about Christ anymore. There are many false doctrines. There are many different things that people do today. There, there's so much. Like, I discipled a girl in St. Louis, and she thought yoga was more spiritual than church. By the time God got a hold of her heart, she was baptized, and she stopped doing yoga. And she says, the body is my temple, and she offers it to God. Now, that's the difference. You know, she had to be, something had to be offered to her that was different. Because nobody ever went to her and said, well, that yoga is really not really not what God wants for you in your life. See, sometimes people go out, young adults go out, and just anything happens. Anything's good. That's the society we live in. Everything's okay. If it doesn't bother your neighbor, it's all right. But if it does bother your neighbor, it's none of their business. <laughs> in my neighborhood the other night, people were yelling and drunk and cussing, and I said it bothered me. And then I thought, it was like, I was upset because 3 o'clock in the morning it woke me up. But also I thought, I said, man, they need Jesus. I remember when I was doing that. You know, sometimes we get in a place and we forget what we were doing. I, I was mad. But I should have been mad at myself. Not mad at them. You know, that's what happened. My heart has to continually change towards people. Jesus' heart doesn't. His heart is forever and always for us. And that's amazing to me. That's amazing. So, in the, in the beginning of this chapter in 10, he talked about the thieves and he talked about the robbers. The thief coming in the night, right? Jesus saying this thief was false doctrine. This thief that comes, he climbs over your gate, and he snatches your sheep. When I look at America, I see that. The devil comes through the front door now. He don't even have to come through the back no more. You know, he don't care. He don't care about what your parents say. I met a grandmother. She said, I said she said, I said, oh, you're taking your grandchildren to church? She said, yeah, and the devil come right along with them. 
I said, praise God. <laughs> I said, that's too much. And she was right. She was right in her experience because she said, the devil don't care about me no more. I'm not doing enough. The devil come right through the front door of your house. That's the time we're living in. That's the time we're living in. The devil comes in my house. You know, that's the time we're living in. He's not scared of us anymore. Because we have to have boldness now. Man, I used to think it was crazy. My spiritual mother would yell when she came to her door. She would yell and tell the devil, get out of here. Rebuke you. I said, man, that's a crazy Pentecostal woman. <laughs> I said, that's crazy. But now when I think about it, that's her last resort. That's all she had left. That's all she had left at her front door was to proclaim Jesus and say, I rebuke you, devil, in a loud voice to make it known. You know, and that's what sometimes, sometimes you parents, you're sitting here, you're looking at your kids and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. I don't know them no more. I know it was a point my mom didn't know me. And once she found out really what I was doing, it broke her heart because she didn't know me. And because the devil came right through the front door. And I'm going to tell you why, why the devil came through the front door. See, half my family is Muslim. And the other half of my family are devout Christians. So on Sunday, I go to church. Uh, on, on school years, I go to church with my family. When I go to the summer, I see the mosque. And I see five percenters. And I see Islam. I see women and I see men. I see boring and I see exciting. I see old, I see new. And that, and my mom said, it's okay if you don't want to eat pork because she didn't want to offend me. It's okay if you want to listen to Elijah Muhammad. It's all right. It's okay if you don't like this person or that person because of their belief. And then after a while, I said, well, I don't need to go to church then. I don't need what you're offering me. And she said, well, I can't force you now. So after a while, the devil came through the front door of false doctrine and pushed his way in and separated me from Christ. And that's me. That's what happened in my life. And now today, my mom had to pray hard that the God would bring me back home. You know, she did it. I wasn't really looking for God until she cut me off. She said, well, I love you, but I can't talk to you no more. I don't like the person you become. And that's because a false doctrine seeped into my heart and hardened it. And I said, I don't have to listen to God. I knew who he was. And then there were the robbers, the false messiahs. I had plenty of false messiahs in my life. I'm talking about me, Carl the person. I had plenty of false messiahs taking me out the gate of Jesus. And I can tell you when I, I can tell you the exact moment when it happened. I went on a church retreat, which I had no choice in going. And a guy started talking to me about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And he started speaking directly to me. He said, you have dreams, don't you? And I go, yeah. He said, they come true all the time, right? And they go, yeah. He says, that's God's gift to you. The next week, the next, exact next week, I didn't want to go to church no more. The devil came in. I didn't want to go to church no more. I knew that's when the change happened. So we could all think back when the change happened in our life. But we had to make a decision about Jesus. I was in the fifth grade. So I knew when I had to make that decision. I still went to church with my mom. But I knew I had my own choice. You know, I could do my own thing. I'm just here. I'm not, I'm not present. I'm just sitting. You know, and that's the kind of kid I was. But you got me out of church, I was fun-loving. You know, I remember the things my mom used to say to me. Like, man, you memorized all the books of the Bible. I was like, yeah. Now I didn't want to have nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> I even thought that Islam was the true Christianity. That's the stuff that was happening to me. That's what the robber and thief did to me. And in my last message, I had told people that the devil didn't have to offer me much. He didn't have to offer me the world. You know, he said, hey, here's nothing. 
and you can have it. And that's what happens in our life now. That's what I see what the devil offers kids now. You know, when people are getting shot and killed and in gangs, he's not offering nothing. He said, all I got for you is death, and that's all I'm going to give you. I'm not giving you nothing more. And if you could bear witness with that, bear witness with it. If the devil's offered you nothing and Christ has something for you, then you know who to choose. So when you hear this voice inside of you speaking while I'm talking, that isn't me. That isn't your self-conscious. That isn't what science tells you. That is Jesus. That is the very heart of God speaking to you right now. But some of you have hard hearts and you're hearing something else. You're hearing say, would he stop talking? I don't want to hear what he has to say today. He hurt me or he doesn't look at me right or I don't like the way he talks to me. See, it's not about me up here. See, it's about what Jesus is saying to you in this very moment. And you have to choose to listen or not to listen. And in, the, in this verse, John 10, 9 and 10, Bradley, can you put that up? Put John 10, 10. This is it. I'm going to explain this really, really quick. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. That's his main purpose. That's his main purpose. First, Jesus identifies him to you. He lets you know that there is a real thief out here and he's coming. And his main plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his issue for you. That's his, that's his ordainment for you. It's for you not to live. But Jesus said, guess what? I have a but. I have a but. But I come. That they might have life. And they might have life more abundantly. Jesus is coming to give you more life. It means you can enjoy God. That means everything that you're doing in your life that is bringing you pain and is not processing in your mind. That means Jesus say, hold on. You need to come to me and you need to come to this door and you need to see that I have more life and more abundantly. There is power in my name. There is power in my ways. There is power in my life. Because what God, what the world is offering you is not true. That's what he's saying right here. He's saying that he's giving you an open door. He's giving you an open door. But he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's coming to give you thoughts of stealing, thoughts of killing, thoughts that destroy, not thoughts that want to have you living in the abundance of God. So Jesus is a contradiction to the world. So everything you do for God, it will never make sense. That's what God is saying in these verses. He is saying, I know, I know it's not making sense to you right now, but I have an open door. I'm here to offer you something. And that's what he's doing. He's offering, he's offering us this. See, a lot of people think Christ's mission was to build the church. But if Christ called us to church, his main mission is right here. That you may have life. That you may have life and more abundantly. If you can get married, life. If you can have kids, life. If you can sustain a household, life. If you can do these things. Not if you can kill, steal, and destroy like me. Like he offered me. Okay, you can't pay your bills. You're an alcoholic. You sleep on the couch. That wasn't life. This is what he's offering right now. He's offering you life in abundance. And he said, guess what? You can enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with what I'm about to give you. There's nothing bad about it. It is real. God is saying, I'm giving you something that you can have more abundantly and more of than anybody else can offer you, and it's real. And that's what needs to happen in our life. We need to start realizing that God has something real for us today. Today. That's why people come to Christ, because they want something real. This offer, this world is so simulated. That everything is technology-based. Everything is made of silicone and plastic coverings. That they offer them nothing real. God is saying, I'm offering you something real right now. All you have to do is come to me. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to press you. But I'm telling you about salvation right now. Salvation is real. And you should, salvation means, and when it said it in, in this John 9 and 10 and Amplified, it says you shall live. 
Salvation means a free gift that you have to guard with every soul of your being and say, I receive it and nobody else is going to take it away from me. God encouraged me to have the power to use it. Look at that. And he said, you shall live. The only reason I'm preaching with this much passion because I'm past 27. That's when I thought I was going to die. Okay, that's why I preach with such enthusiasm because the love of God wants us to live. That's why the Apostle John could blow up altars and explode minds and show miracle working because the love of God gave him life. That's what happens. I might be getting a little enthusiastic right now because life is happening here right now. There's somebody's life that needs to change. There's somebody that needs to hear this message that's sick of hearing it. You know why you're sick of hearing it? Because it's truth. And you're sick of the truth coming at you, left and right. You need to hear God saying, you know my voice. Stop it. Stop what you're doing. And listen to my voice. When I stopped what I was doing and I cried out to him, he answered me. See, all I could do was talk about me. Because I don't know you personally. I don't know your walk personally. But I'm telling you right now in this place that God is saying today. That's why he gave me this special word. They're saying he's letting you know that there's somebody out there that does not want you to succeed. And the purposes and plans for your life. There is somebody you're hanging out with that is a thief, that steals, that destroys. And right now he's telling you that I have life more abundantly. All you have to do is come to me. I mean, if we get that. If we really understand that, you say, Pastor Carl, my life is not too abundant right now. I say, listen, you're not your parents. You're not going to get that $200,000 house when you get married. Okay, you got to work for it. And Jesus said, I got some work for you. And you know what? You'll work for the devil day in and day out. You'll pick up a cuss word. You'll watch something that's contrary to the belief of God, the spirit in your, in your heart. But you know what? God is saying right now. He said, I don't care. All that stuff is trivial to me. I said, I'm the door. He said, I'm still here to offer you abundant life. I'm still here to tell you that you have life and more abundantly. You know, you have to choose life. You have to choose it. You have to delight in God. And that's one of the things that, that I had to learn. Like they were saying, I delight in you, Lord. I'm satisfied for you, God. Now, this is the time. There is no other time but today. Salvation is here. Jesus says in Luke 17, I, I came to seek and save the lost. That's what he came for. And that's the mission I put in my heart. That we came to come after the loss as hard as we can. And in doing that, I say Christ is the door. He wants to fill each and every one of us up and overflow. Not overflow us with anger. Not overflow with dissension. Not overflow with division. But overflow with love and abundant life. And once we understand that the love of Christ is right here. Right here, right now. I'm going to ask uh, Sister Lane and all the workers to come up. S Sister Amy, you may play on the piano for me. I'm going to do two things. We're going to do an altar call. And what's going to happen is if something resonated in your heart today about this message and you're saying, God, I need to rededicate my heart to you. That Pastor Carl said something that made me mad. I didn't like what he said. And then I need to come to Christ's door. And then, if you don't know Christ, I promise you that he will find you here. I promise a guarantee abundant life is signed, sealed, and delivered. You can be fulfilled. I pray that you, I pray that you run today, that you chase after God in this moment. Because this is the time. Y'all been asking for new things to happen in new life. This is the move. I'm expecting next week for significant turnaround. 
I'm praying for significant turnaround in the lives of the people of Lima. I'm, I'm praying for that. I'm praying for a significant turnaround in my own life. And I'm praying if you don't know Jesus, or sometimes you forget what he does, you can come. Today is the day you can say, I come to the shepherd. I come to the open door. And I'm ready. Like a man said to me today, I said, I'm ready. I'm sick of running. This is it. And I guarantee you, Jesus will change your life today. The altars are open. Come on. It's not going to hurt you. It's for your life. This is God asking you to come to him. This is for your life. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the word, God. We thank you, Lord God, for continuing to refresh in our hearts and our minds, Lord God, to the ways and what you're doing, God. Thank you for your voice, God. Thank you for what's happening, God. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Tunde to come. We're going to move in communion. We have the ushers to come forth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you because your word is life. That you are life yourself. There is power in the word of God. And there is life in the word of God. 
We are getting into a very sacred portion of the service because it is one of the last commandments that Jesus gave to do from time to time to receive his body and to receive his blood. That is the best he has to offer. Corinthians 11:23 to 26, First Corinthians 11:23 to 26 says, "For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you." What Jesus was saying here and still says today is everything, everything that the Lord has given to me, as you do this, I'm transferring them to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this, is the new, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is the mandate from God. And that is the best he has to offer. Let's sanctify our hearts this morning. Because the Bible tells us that a lot of people receive this cup. And receive this body in an unworthy manner. And they end up with sickness. And with diseases and death. So right now, as the ushers pass the elements around, I want you to spend the time to do business with God in your very hearts. What is going to render you unqualified to receive his body and his blood? This moment, begin to Bring it before the cross. Begin to bring it before the Lord. Begin to do business. Begin to confess sins. Begin to let go of bitterness. Begin to let go of unforgiveness. And in the same vein, begin to use this as a point of contact 